Hi, and welcome to another episode of Queer Not Here, where I'm speaking to LGBTQ Malaysians who've migrated away from Malaysia. This episode, I speak to Elfie, a gay man living in Los Angeles. Elfie talks to me about how much his internal homophobia and self-loathing affected him and how it led to his sobriety and recovery from addiction. Content warning for substance abuse and addiction. In putting together this episode, I tried asking around for queer-friendly addiction treatment services here in the Klang Valley, and unfortunately, it wasn't so straightforward. But if you are someone who's struggling with addiction and looking for queer-affirming mental health services, I've put a link in the description of this episode to a Queer Lapis article that shares some resources on friendly services you can seek. Or otherwise, do get in touch with me on IG at QueerNotHere or email me at QueerNotHere at gmail.com and I can put you in touch with some folks. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, okay, uh, do you want to be anonymous or are you okay to use no. your name? Uh, okay. It's okay. Yeah. How about your location? Okay to use that? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. How you been? How's LA? Uh, LA is opening up. It's kind of weird because like Malaysia can, Malaysia is going to be, Malaysia is going to be, um, I don't know if the universe when my dad passed away. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was very um sudden. It was very fast. So I'm still kind of dealing with it. Um, but yeah, I have a, a really good support network here. Mm. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I'll be okay. Yeah, and you you still have a bunch of family here again who can take care of everything and all that. Yeah, my mom. And my two siblings, my two younger siblings, and you know the, the rest of the the big family. The clan, yeah. Yep. I love your wow tattoo, by the way. I uh-huh. also not. <laughs> well, I got it. When did I get it? I got it when I turned uh one year sober. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I. Congrats. I got it. Thank you. So it's like wow. It reminds me that I'm this Malay kid who's like guy, let's say man or whatever, like you know somewhere else. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm still my you. And then, <laughs> and then there's like my sobriety month and year. So it, it kind of shows that without that, I'm not gonna fly or soar or whatever, you know. So that's that was- awesome. Okay, so. Let's take it back a bit to when when did you first move to LA? May 2019, two years ago. Okay. So uh, take me back to that time. What was kind of happening with you that led to that move? So I was dealing with um, depression, addiction, I guess to a certain point, alcoholism, maybe. Um, and also I was burning out. I was experiencing like severe burnout from just working um, and also not taking care of myself um, in terms of my mental health because I did not even know that I was depressed. Like I didn't know, like I, I was depressed for so many years I, I just didn't know. I, I I thought that was like, that was just how everybody felt. <laughs> so, so, and then at that point in time, I really 
thought I was gonna die um, um, an addict and I was just, it was just very dark. Um, and I just didn't know what to do. And my thinking at that time was, if I could just run away, you know, from, from everything, maybe I'll be okay, maybe I'll be better. Um, I just wanted to leave. I just wanted to like, I guess, run away in some sense. And I just, and I had a friend um, who had moved to the US one year prior. Um, and I was just like, hey, you know, I'm, I want to get out. Like, should I come over there? And then she was like, yeah, sure, you know, like, and I just did that. I, I booked my flight and one month later, I was in LA. Um, I, I literally packed up and left. Like, I, I like to say I came to the US with two suitcases and uh, a large crate, my dog. <laughs> yeah. What were you doing in in KL at the time? What were you? What was your job? I uh, was uh, running my own uh, uh, business uh, in talent management. So I everything around me was just there was you know there were drugs and alcohol around me obviously. So and there was no recovery. And at that point in time, I didn't even understand what recovery meant. You know, like I didn't know people got sober with help. <laughs> you know. Um, I didn't know, like I had, a, I didn't understand my problem, but yeah, so in hindsight, I really do feel like if I had not left, I would probably still be dealing with addiction um, and mental health issues. Mm. Yeah. And I got out here and I got a lot of support from the community, which I never thought I would be a part of, the LGBT community so it's the sense of community is just very different it's 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 existent you know what i mean um and there's a lot of resources maybe maybe yeah i would argue that i moved to the right places in la because there's a lot of support here i don't know about other parts of the u.s i think i got i lucked out in terms of the my the destination that i chose to come out to right so to answer your question i was uh, I was running a couple of businesses, one in fashion and the other one is in, uh, was in uh, talent management. And how, how out were you at the time? I was pretty out, but not out, out. I mean, I, in, like when I think about it, when I was back in KL, I thought I was out, you know, like by KL standards, I was out, you know, like I was out to my friends, my inner circle. I wasn't necessarily out to my family. I did come up to my mom, um, like maybe one year prior to moving. Um, and that was a whole different, that, that's a whole story to itself. I was not out professionally, if that makes sense. Um, yes, I mean, you know, like, uh, it's kind of like, I don't know how to, not completely out, I would say. If now that I know what out feels like and what out is about, like, yeah, I was not out, like not entirely. But back then, I was out. <laughs> It makes sense. <laughs> By KL standards, lah. Yes, I totally understand. So, was I mean, was the queerness of LA a factor in you choosing LA at all? I think, in general, um, in my head, I, you know, deep down in my head, for sure, I had that. I've always had this, uh, you know, yearning, I guess, to live my life out and proud and kind of like just be myself and equal, you know, like, 
I wouldn't say like LA specifically, but maybe the US in general, that was the idea that I had. Or maybe just even the US and Europe and, you know, things, I mean, certain countries that I had that kind of like perception of like, obviously one of the major factor was like, I don't know if I want to get married, but I would like to know that that is an option. I know like I've been in my heart, even though I didn't want to admit it then, that's what I kind of like, I like the idea of being able to, you know, have a family, have kids, um, have rights. Never talked about it. I just kind of like, just got it in my head. But yeah, definitely the queerness of, I guess more like a progressive country. So yeah, that definitely. And I mean, you said you came, when you came out to your mom, when, when did you come out to your mom? Sometime in 2000, I can't remember. I think 2017 or 2018. Ooh, okay, when you were still in KL. Yeah. Um, and that was out of like sheer desperation. I was just kind of like, I was hitting a wall, you know, in terms of like everything, you know, my health, my mental health. Yeah, it was just a dark period. It was just a dark period of time. And I remember I was having a conversation with my mom and then my dog barked. <laughs> And then my mom was like, is that a dog? And at this point, I, was, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was just like, that duality, like, you know, I, I was living in such duality that it was just kind of like, I was so much in my head. I was like, yes, mom, that's, it's a dog. You know, I have a dog. I'm gay. I have a boyfriend. You know, like, I drink. It just came out. <laughs> like, and then I just went, like, on this, like, like little, not little, not speech, but more like you know, like I want to have a, co- I want to have a relationship with you, but I can't have a, com- uh, I can't have a relationship with you if you don't know me. And at that point in time, it was not, I would say, not ideal, not good. Like I just, I was shutting her out, you know. And like for so many years, I was living a double, yeah, a double life, some sort. Not, not, not so much of like, oh, you know, I had a girlfriend or anything like that, but more like. Like, I don't invite my mom over to my house, you know, because I was living with a partner then. You know, it was just kind of awkward and weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, obviously, I had a dog. And, but, yeah, so I, that came out, I, I, that happened because I was just so desperate, you know. I was just desperate to just, I don't know, to have some, to feel some sort of, like, to feel some semblance of normalcy with my mom, I guess. If that makes sense. I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't, you know, not. So, yeah. But you guys are quite tight, lah. It sounds like we're tight, um, as tight as you know any mom and son duo kind of thing can be. You know, like it's all, not. There's not a lot of like um, conversations about feelings. You know, it's all very. I don't know whether superficial is the right word, but like maybe on the surface, mm. you know, like. Kind of like, I love you, you love me, you know, kind of like we talk about important things, but not actual important things, you know? And um, so, yeah, but tight in that way. Right. Yeah. Right, Asian style. Asian style, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so um, what changed for you once you moved to LA? I don't mean like now, two years later, but when you first packed up your bags and landed in LAX or wherever. What changed for me was 
Uh, definitely access to community, mm-hmm. access to support and help. I mean, I, yeah, like I found myself somehow, I can't remember how, but I found myself, I found myself at the uh, LGBT center in LA because I was, I really needed help. You know, I, I tried getting sober but like uh, on my own. When I first got to LA, I was probably like, I got sober for like four months. And I, you know, and I ended up in the hospital. It was just really bad. Um, and I just realized, you know what, I, I can't do this on my own, so I need help. And I don't remember how, but I would say it's like got shot. But I ended up at the Lesbian and Gay Center, and that's when I went to my first AA meeting. Um, and then the people there, who, I can't remember if this was the other way around. I might have gone in to seek uh, mental health services first and then they sent me over to the meeting. I can't remember how it, you know, I was a mess, but yeah, so the center helped me a lot. So yeah, I would say that, you know, access and um, just being able to address my issues, you know, like, which I I didn't have that opportunity in, in, in KL. None, you know, there's no, there's no support. There's no help. I mean, maybe there is, I just, maybe I, wasn't it wasn't accessible maybe I don't know like maybe I didn't look hard enough but for me it just happened that way that these things just started opening up you know when I, when I moved out here and then after that just one after another everything around me is all like all has got to do with community like people like you know the community really take care of each other like it takes a village to raise a kid you know that saying I really felt like that, you know, like it's been amazing. Just every part of my life right now, it goes back to, yeah, community. So that changed a lot. How about your relationship with folks back home? How did that change, if at all? It changed a lot in terms of um, a lot of things. I realized a lot of things, um, like in terms of my perception of my relationships back home, I mean, back in KL, has, it changed tremendously. Like, I was able to look at it with a different filter mm. and realize, oh, wow, like, that was not right. You know, like, a lot of things. And then things like um, values, my values changed. I wouldn't say changed, but maybe more, I was more comfortable in expressing them. Mm. And then I realized that I didn't have anything in common in terms of like values with even like my closest friends you know um, especially when it comes to religion especially when it comes to culture mm. I guess it was very stark in terms of I can't relate any, I couldn't relate anymore you know like oh maybe I maybe all this while I couldn't but I was just kind of pretending and kind of trying to fit in the mold and like okay so this is where I'm supposed to exist this is where this space is where I'm supposed to exist in, you know, but like, so yeah, moving out here gave me the freedom to just not, you know, think about it and grow to myself. How did it feel kind of realizing that? Uh, If I can put it into, it's like I've been walking with a veil all my life, or rather like I wasn't really living, I was just more like kind of getting by. Because there was a lot of like a lot of things, you know, like I, I wasn't comfortable with myself. I wasn't, I was self-loathing. I, there's a lot of um, internal homophobia, a lot of things that I just kind of settled with, a lot of resentments. And all of that compounded 
felt like I was just kind of floating through life and not living it. And then now I'm actually finding living my life as myself at 40 years old. And I feel like, yeah, just finally, it's like I'm getting to know myself now. You know, and it's 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 invaluable. I feel like yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know how I feel like now. Yeah, you look happy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about how about with family? How did that change once you moved? I think both sides are make, making a little bit more effort, and now especially since my dad passed, like I understand. You know, people of a certain generation. You know, they like my parents. You know, they 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 know what they know. This their capacity. That's their capacity of like dealing with things. But I feel like with this, when I started coming to terms with myself and being comfortable with myself, and I guess I'm more confident in terms of wanting to make changes, and I will lead that. You know, even if even if it's small, like. Talking about feelings, <laughs> and so because the other day my mom, you know, my mom is obviously dealing with my dad's passing, and I was like, you know, there's this prayer that we we learn in the program. It's called the Serenity Prayer, and, I, and that's been a big part of my life now in recovery. And I was like, I wanted to share that with my mom because my mom's pretty religious. And my first um, instinct was like, maybe you know, maybe it's inappropriate because you know she might think this is like some kind of like Christian thing. When it's not, I mean, it shouldn't matter if it was anyway, but it wasn't. Uh, but then I thought, you know what? Like, I'm just gonna share. You know, like if it helps, it helps. If it doesn't help her, you know, I've done my part. I'm not afraid of like telling my truth. So yeah, so that's that. You know, like hey, this this prayer works for me, right? I don't, even though it's my mom, like I don't have that like oh you know not religious idea or what like you know like this is me. It's 100% me and. And this comes from a place of love, and I want to share this with you. So yeah, just kind of, I, I guess unafraid. Yeah. So now I have that kind of relationship with myself. So therefore, I, I'm able to apply that to my relationship with my family, and hopefully, you know, that could lead. That could be a an example. I hope you know to my siblings. You know, this we now talking a bit more on a deeper level because I initiate. <laughs> How do you feel? I mean, do you miss home? How do you feel about living, leaving this physical space? You know. Yeah. Well, I guess everything's new. Everything's very exciting still, and everything's still has that novelty. It it hasn't worn off yet. Uh, It's only been two years. It hasn't worn off yet, and also all this. All these new experiences that I'm having, also they're very, very new because I'm sober. Mm. I see things differently, right? So it's very um, fresh and new on a pink cloud. And um, was it hard to leave? No, because I think I was just in a very dark place. I do miss. I miss my family, obviously. I do miss the food. I know that's cliche. Um, I do miss certain aspects of like being in KL. You know, the convenience of. Because I've made quite a, you know, like I've come to a certain point in my career like that, you know, in KL. So things came by, I guess, more easily for me. I had a lot more privilege there, you know, being Malay, you know, all those things, being of a certain um, 
socioeconomic background, being of certain um, academic background, which is very different here because when I came out here, like, like I got to start over, right? Like nobody can't, knows me, nobody cares about who the hell I am. And it's like everything's just kind of like level playing game, right? So I wouldn't say I missed that because I, well, I miss the convenience, but I've gained a lot more out here than I've ever gained. And I was back home. I wouldn't say my life was like, oh, everything's being handed to me. But to some point, um, there is that, you know, I do recognize my privilege. So yeah, but also it, it took moving out here for me to be able to understand that. And how is that? I mean, from here from here in, in, in Malaysia, you have the privilege of being a Malay man. Um, and I guess being a gay Malay man is a bit... A bit lower down the ladder, but not so much lower, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in terms of like, you know, if, if I don't choose to disclose that, like, yeah. I still, you know, I still walk away with the privilege. Yeah. To then going to the US where you have a bit more privilege as a gay man, but you have completely lost that racial privilege, right? Um, yeah, I guess in that sense... I would say my experience might be different because I am in LA um, in terms of because of the kind of community that I, uh, that I was able to be a part of. I have not experienced, you know, apart from the kind of like random when you walk down the street and a drunken person was, you know, like, hey, you Asian buttfucker. <laughs> you know, that. But like I've never actually really experienced downright racism. Mm. So I'm probably in a bubble. I'm say I'm probably in a safe bubble because I'm in this. I'm in the recovery community where you know everybody's just taking care of each other and, be, like in the recovery community, it doesn't matter what color you are, what's your what your creed is. You know, it just doesn't matter because everybody's either an alcoholic or an addict, and we're like working towards the same goal, which is to take care of each other and you know keep sober. So my experience might not be representative of others moving out here um, as an Asian brown person. Was that a consideration for you at all when you first moved out? I didn't think about it. Um, mm. I think I didn't have enough understanding about, I mean, you see it on TV, right? But it was so far removed from where I was, you know, I was in jail. So I didn't really get all this. I didn't really understand, you know, the, um, the whole thing about or maybe not to say I didn't understand, I didn't care. Mm. You know, if I were to put it very bluntly, like it's, it's not in my backyard, right? So I didn't think about that. But when I came out here, I learned so much, you know, especially with the BLM movement. And things started becoming more important. You know, like um, then I started feeling, you know, as, as you know, like a, as a minority. I mean, I didn't realize I was like a minority in Malaysia being a gay man. You know, I didn't realize that until I came out here. Oh my God, you know, like I, you know, it, because it was all so internalized and everything was like, yeah, that's okay. You know, like people will treat me, you know, they were treating me this way, blah, blah, blah. It's okay. It's fine. You know, like it's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, that changed a lot in terms of how I view things. I had to kind of, I got like some crash courses now, basically. <laughs> From the things that's, that's been happening around me, you know, like, oh, wow. You know, and I, my friends educate me as well. You know, um, little, little things, like things that I used to say, I didn't even realize were offensive just because I was a foreigner, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but you learn these things. Are you friends with a lot of other Malaysians there? 
a few. So my best friend also moved out here. So I have that connection. And then I have um, maybe a few others. I would say a handful. They've, they've also been, they've been very supportive. I mean, yeah, because I'm, I'm alone out here. So they've kind of felt like family, away from family when you want to just, how you are you? You know, I just want to hang out. Well, yeah, things like that, uh, but not many. But is that something you also seek out? Like other Malaysians or some kind of connection to home? I don't seek, as far as my relationships go with uh, my Malaysian friends, I was not actively or consciously seeking them out. It just kind of happened, like friends and then friends of a friend of a friend and then we connect. It was more organic. It was not like, oh, I need to find Malaysian friends out here. No, nothing like that. But I would say though, when I do hear about another, like a fellow queer person out here who's also Malaysian, I would definitely reach out just to see if I can be of any help or support in any kind of way. So yeah, that I would say that I will seek out. Not necessarily just Malaysians, but queer Malaysians mm. or Malays or whichever. Do you still feel like if you meet a new Malaysian, for example, in LA, and you're kind of not sure what their maybe politics are, do yeah. you revert back to your like closeted Malay self? Not if I can help it. <laughs> I have this feeling now like, dude, you're on my turf now. Like, you know, like I'm not going to hide myself. Like you're out here in America. <laughs> you know, you're out in LA. So it's like I... And there's no way in hell I'm going to go back to that closet, you know? Yeah, I mean, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, I'm sorry. But, you know, I've never I've never been the kind that's like, oh, you know, hey, look at me anyway, but I'm not going to hide for it. No way, no way, no way in hell. <laughs> and and, and um, I think just to put that into perspective, I'm also out on my social media, like, you know, um, Facebook, Instagram. And I do have family, like extended family. The more time I have out here, the, the less I care about what they think about what I want to share. You know Should I post this up? Little things. It's just like, it's not even anything. It's just like a rainbow flag, for example. <laughs> but now I'm just like, hey, 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 if it makes you feel uncomfortable, that's your problem, not mine. You know, you have to work on that. I worked on my own shit. <laughs> or working on them, at least. Um, and is that because you just feel generally safer and more secure there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Generally safer, more secure. Yeah, definitely. Okay, are there other things where you are now that you wish we had in Malaysia? Access to mental health care, access to generally support for the LGBT community. I wish people talk more about members of the community like we're human, you know, like humanization of, you know, queer people, which I think it's almost completely non-existent in Malaysia, which is very sad. It's sad that I had to leave to be able to live my, live my truth. And there's circumstances that went into that, you know, like I wouldn't have left if it wasn't really, I wasn't in, in a dire, you know, dark place, you know, it had to come to that. And of course, you know, with my addiction, it stems from, a lot of like trauma and you know, childhood trauma being gay in a country like Malaysia. Obviously, you know, like I didn't think about that before, but definitely that, you know, and community. I know there's a community in Malaysia. I was just never a part of that either because of my own um, 
self-hatred or projection. Like, I don't want to be around gay people because like, I'm the only gay person in this circle and I'm like, I'm content with that. But that was what I was longing for. That was what I was missing. I just didn't know it. I mean, truth be told, like when I was in KL, I was like, I didn't want to hang out with like, I didn't, not to say I didn't want to hang out with other queer people. I didn't want to be seen in a space where being queer is not acceptable. Like, so I'm fine with like hanging out with, you know, other people when it's at a party or like in fashion, entertainment, because to exist in that very tight space, it's fine, it's acceptable. But even then it's like, like not really. But if it's out of that space, I'm like, I'm just not gonna, like if, if I were to meet somebody else who's queer, who's not within my circle or like at least that space, I would, not, I would not make an effort. Yeah, that, oh, whatever, that which had in Malaysia, just basically the ability to have like open dialogues, you know, um, just, there's a lot of things, <laughs> um, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, basic human rights, <laughs> you know. I think the, the fashion industry is so interesting, Ken, because it's completely it's completely full of gays oh for sure but it's still like a very straight world you know what i mean so the entertainment industry is what you put forth cannot be queer as in a lot oh god i know i mean a lot of people in entertainment who are on the forefront are in the closet so many i worked behind the scenes so I had a bit more leeway in terms of like being myself, right? Mm-hmm. But I have, you know, I've, I've, don't, I've definitely had encounters with like deep, deeply closeted um, people who are in the limelight. The Malaysian entertainment scene is very interesting in terms of they understand, it's so weird, they understand campiness, but they don't understand, they don't necessarily understand or accept homosexuality, which is kind of, kind of weird, you know? Like, I think the campiness is usually for laughs right yeah they can appreciate it as a funny thing but eventually you can change and get married la. <laughs> like that that's the thinking right you can change and get married oh yeah yeah, yeah. Or like, they'll be like oh we'll pray for you and like you know like oh which is a conversation that I probably will not have right now but you know as in like what my thoughts are on that, but mm. I guess everybody has got, the, what I would say is everybody has got their own ways of coping with things. And it's not my place to invalidate, you know, their methods. You know. Sure. I have my opinion on that. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think definitely living in this context, I never judge anyone for being in the closet, you know? Yeah. Do you think you've seen, I mean, it's only been two years, but do you think, you've seen any kind of change for queer Malaysians here? This is only my perception and my mind might be wrong because now I care enough or like now, no, not care enough. Now I actually care about wanting to know um, about, you know, what the community is facing in Malaysia. Right? And it, it, it makes me, it pains me. It makes me angry. Like when I was before, like I didn't, I didn't care. When I was in the thick of it, I didn't care because I didn't see it. I didn't, I wasn't able to see it. I was just too busy trying to survive <laughs> in the head. I think there's a lot more people that are definitely talking about things openly, but it's definitely being met with more resistance. 
this is me, you know, like from out here getting little bits and pieces of news and information. And my perception is that, I don't know, things are just not very, the trajectory is not good. I know, but that's just my perception. I don't know, you're, you're, you're out there. So. And also I think socially, uh, in terms of um, family structures, I think there's a lot more, there's um, a lot more progress has been made in terms of, you know, parents accepting their children and then friends accepting, you know, their friends in that sense. But I would say this is also very specific to urban communities, right? Um, but I think in terms of the government, in terms of the institutions, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of progress there. In fact, I think there's a lot of regress. I don't, honestly, I don't see how. I just don't, I, I don't see, you know how, you know, when people always say, oh, there's hope, it gets better, or oh, there's a light, there's no tunnel. I don't see that, not to be a, like a Debbie Downer or anything like that. I don't, like intellectually, I don't see, like I can't wrap my head, my head around like what's on the other side, like when or what will change. I don't know. Like it's, it's really, from what I see, it's very bleak. Just because mm-hmm. there, there needs to be a change in, in, in um, everything. Similar. Yeah, so it's like, how's that possible? Like, you know, like, how do we do that? I don't know. I, I guess one word is, I do feel helpless. I don't know what I can do. Uh, sometimes I also have this, like, maybe survival's guilt or whatever, you know, like, and thinking about what can I do to make a difference, right? But, like, I really don't know. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. Yeah, I do feel helpless. There was one time, because um, I was in fashion and I was wearing, I wore a kilt. And... Uh, an ex-co-worker um, posted my picture on Facebook, tagged me, saying all these really awful things, um, of course, about me being gay. And it came to a point where people were just jumping on it. And, you know, there were, there, the comments were like, it was it was horrible, you know, things like uh, there was a threat of rape, you know? Like, even though, you know, it was kind of joking kind of thing, or, you know, like, oh, he's wearing a skirt, easy access or whatever. But it wasn't funny to me. And I actually had like screen caps of that. And then I also designed a collection for Raya. And they think that I'm trying to like feminize Malay men by creating, you know, like casual um, baju Raya. For me, it was more resort-like, right? So, you know, I had like crop pants. And plus like, you know, I was inspired by like back then, you know, like baju Malay were all very short stuff. Mm-hmm. But because of the way we did it and because of who I was, like there, there was this blog that was dedicated to like just bashing my work. Yeah, it's just crazy. I don't know I, I consider myself to be one of the lucky ones, not necessarily in terms of the <laughs> the circumstances of it, but definitely. I feel like here because we normalize the shit so much, right? So anytime someone asks, "Oh, are you discriminated against?" We really have to like stop and think. You yeah, know? I stop. I stop and think I was discriminated. Um, or we even, think that like discrimination means you have to be beat up physically, right? And yeah, not yeah. like nasty comments someone said online or something. But that is. Yeah, and because also one point that I want to make is that because we become so accustomed to living, like living in duality, right? Mm. So we don't encounter those things because we're so careful to. To, to curate this image just not to be either bullied or like, you know, um, like I would be very cautious about how I would 
appear like I would be like yeah okay so I'm kind of out being a gay man but I don't want to be seen I don't want to be perceived as effeminate or campy yeah any of those things I didn't want to be and this is you know, I have so much you know I'm ashamed for saying this even like I didn't want to be seen with a transgender person because you know like I'm a macho gay man you know <laughs> that's in itself is discrimination but I just didn't face it because I I was hiding it I was you know like carefully and desperately trying not to let that show you know and I would be curating I would be careful with the things that I say yeah people have got like coping mechanisms and I feel like it's so it goes so far to like splinter the community right because so many yeah. people do feel like that that I don't want to be around other gay people in case yes you're right I, I splinter is definitely the word mm. because there's not even support for each other because you're just you just don't want to be a part of that community because you're just either so scared self-loathing things you know all these like layers 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 of issue in a way we turn on each other because we make each other the other like i wanted to be comfortable in my own bubble of friends because i never realized this there was a lot of homophobia within my own internal circle because of the things like my straight friends would be like oh you know like gay people scare me but you're different dude you know like um and i normalized that and you know and i appreciated that because hey you know i'm not like the, them other gays <laughs> in itself it's just so bizarre and i wasn't able to see that you know um and you know i, I was thinking back if i had the awareness that i have now i wouldn't have put up with that you know like what do you mean you know like what, like am i you know gay people less than just because i conform to some heteronormative standards then you accept me and even if i were to express that to my friends right now i i i don't think that they would understand like how i really feel about it they would be like why are you so angry <laughs> how big is your Malaysian identity a part of your life there? So this is interesting. I would say pretty big, but I had to work through that because of how being a Malay person in Malaysia also means that you're supposed to be a certain type of Muslim. I had to kind of like really unshackle that idea, you know, like being Malay, like my identity as a Malaysian does not is not tied to my identity as a Muslim person if that makes sense i had to kind of like work through that issue before i was able to kind of be hey you know what this is me i'm malaysian out here in la i would say if i still had that guilt of not being this brand of muslim man it wouldn't be a part of my big part of my identity out here you know but because i was able to take how do i put this i am my own brand of person then I'm able, I was able to kind of like, hey, you know, so this is who I am, you know, I might not be the, what you think of, think of what a Malaysian person would be, but this is my Malaysian person, that makes sense. Or this is my Malay person. But you feel a need to reclaim that for yourself? Oh yeah, I, I, yes, I definitely, yeah, a need to reclaim that on my own terms and through my own understanding and comprehension and through my own perspective. Is that the same with um, religion? Like, how's your relationship with religion now? So this is very interesting. Um, I am, I'm a spiritual person now. I like to think that. But 
like I don't know, ask me again in in one year, it might be different. I'm exploring, right? I carry I, the same way with a lot of a lot of Malay Muslims, uh, being being born into the religion and indoctrinated from a very young age. I also was carrying a lot of guilt and shame, you know, shame on uh, you know being who I am and guilt for like I was I probably would not would have not been able to say, hey, you know, I'm spiritual or I'm looking at things a different way back then because it was just so had a lot of guilt, you know, like, oh, I can't, I can't even think about defying what was taught to me. So I had to do a lot of inner work in that sense. So when I moved out here, I connected with this community called the Muslims for Progressive Values. So that I, I embarked on a journey where um, I had to go into a space where to understand that God doesn't hate me. I had to kind of like work through that within, you know, within the space of Islam. But once I was able to kind of unshackle that and my relationship with God at that point in time changed from fear to love, I was able to break and embark on another journey now on a more spiritual journey and a less religious. Mm. Uh, but I needed that incubation, you know, like to still exist within that space of being a Muslim person and work through my issues of like, hey, you know, God doesn't hate me. I can have a relationship with God. The religion is not about hate. Yeah, like everything that, that's been taught, you know, like, you know, it's just, I, I have that conversation in another, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a big conversation. <laughs> and so. Yeah, I would definitely say I believe in God because there's no way God doesn't exist because of how I ended up here. <laughs> but my concept of God definitely evolves and changes with experiences that I am, am experiencing or like will experience. I will not say this is going to be where I am two years from now. I'm not going to say that. I don't know where I'm going to be at. But right now I'm comfortable with just knowing that there's a higher power and I have a relationship with my higher power, whatever that is, or whatever form that is changes. <laughs> Sometimes it's the universe. Sometimes it's my best friend. Sometimes, I mean, not my best friend per se, but, you know, I see God as my best friend or like sometimes it's within me, the inner child within me. So it evolves, you know. So that's my relationship with religion, I guess. I'm spiritual more like um, and definitely open to learning a lot of things. If somebody were to come to me, hey, you know, this, what do you think of Buddhism? I'm like, I'll listen to you and see what I can take from it. I just okay. think that I don't know enough to discount the existence of God. But I do know now my relationship with my high power is of love, which is very, I now have a relationship with my high power. I, never, I used to have a relationship with my high power, oh God, back then. But it was more like of fear and uncertainty and like hate. You know, there was love and hate, you know, like, why do you hate me so much? <laughs> but now nothing, not, you know, none of that. Like, do you think you'll ever move back to Malaysia? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Not even for like retirement ke? Maybe, I mean, it depends, you know, like America has got its own like shit going on, you know what I mean? Like, yep. <laughs> here is like, oh my God, the capitalist. Ah, capitalist. Yeah. So horrible. Like, I have thought about, okay, maybe, you know, as an American, I could go back and do the Malaysia, my second home thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I seriously have not thought about it that far. Mm. 
I would say I will never say never. You, I never, you know, you never know. Like, yes, right now LA is fine, but things might change, you know. And my where I'm at in my life might change as well. I am now a big proponent of saying that everything is transitional. Everything is transitional. Nothing is permanent. What do you wish for the LGBT community here in Malaysia? <sighs> I just wish just there's acceptance, you know. It just makes me sad there's just so much attack and hatred towards the community. It's like, what do we do to you? It's like people, you know, like everyone's, imp- you know, trying to impose their system, their beliefs on, you know, on our community, their standards. It's like when what we want is just what we want for ourselves. We don't want to hurt other people. We don't do this to offend you. You know what I mean? There's, it's like, I just wish people would just act like human beings and like stop attacking you know and be on the offense so much because why why are you so like why do you hate us so much you know what I mean? like why do you not want us to just live or like exist i do i don't get it <sighs> if i were to hope for things in terms of like changes in terms of constitution and things like that i'm not naive to think that it's going to be like a huge change in the near future at the end of the day also politicians will politicize and use our identities to their benefit. Yeah, I mean, it's just just stop politicizing queer lives or like policing queer lives. And I might not, yeah, it's just, I feel, you know, for like, for the community, not just for those who are like downright discriminated against, but those who are not because they're living this life that's just so inauthentic. You know, and you just kind of apply to just live. Of course, like people will say, like, oh, it's not like we, we kill gay people or like you know queer people in Malaysia. That's not their whole point, is it? You know, like people mm. always say, like you can live. Is it really though? Is it really living? A lot of people, even in within the gay, gay and within the community, people just miss the mark totally because they they're too afraid to even you know acknowledge you know like oh you know this is what's happening. Yeah, it's just normal. It's, normalize so much okay last one <laughs> do you have any sounds that remind you of home definitely the rain um you know cuddle cuddle weather also azan yeah i have a lot of religion but you know <laughs> but that's a part of you know my growing up well that was fun <laughs> i hope it wasn't too um I don't know, triggering and... No, you know what, like that was... I really had fun doing that. I think that was the first time ever that I shared my whole truth and nothing but the truth. Thank you for giving me this space. Thank you so much! Thank you! I hope you have a great evening. Take your doggy out for a walk. Yeah. Alright, take care. Alright. Yeah, you too. See ya! Bye. Bye! Thanks for listening to this episode of Queer Not Here. If you'd like to give me feedback or are curious about anything discussed in this episode, do write to me at queernothere at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram at queer.nothere. Thanks for listening!